as usual, we're going to do a, a quick recap of where we've been to give us a little bit more context uh, for the verses that we're going to read today and help us remember what it is that we heard last week. So um, just a quick recap, and actually we're going to go back a couple weeks. Um, so a couple weeks ago, uh, back in the beginning of chapter 5, we read how faith in Jesus Christ gave us access to God's grace in which now we stand. It's not a temporary grace. It's not a momentary grace. It is a grace that we abide in, that we can rest in. We're free from the power of sin, even though through the law, sin was made to abound, grace abounded much more. Through faith in the mighty work of Jesus Christ, we were brought from a death that we couldn't buy our, our way out of into a life that we, even though we can't live perfectly, can't sin ourselves out of, sin our way out of. So grace rules, if you remember that uh, 80s uh, phrase, rules, grace rules. Um, next, uh, in chapter 6, as we move into chapter 6, uh, we found out that because we are standing in grace, in a grace that's always going to abound, the question that arises is, do we keep on sinning so that grace can continue to abound more and more, so we can experience more and more of God's wonderful grace? And the answer, of course, was a resounding, of course not. Of course, we're not going to continue in our sin. We were joined with Christ in baptism. As we were submerged in the water, we died to our sinful way of living, and we arise out of the water into newness of life. We were not only cleansed from our sin, but we were born into a new nature that is the same as Christ's nature. This new nature no longer desires sin, but rather it desires to bring glory to God. So now we live with this choice. Before we didn't have a choice. Now we have this choice. We were slaves to sin, but now we can choose. Will we walk in this new life that we're born again into through the Holy Spirit, or are we going to go back to the desires of the flesh? And Paul encouraged us in uh, Romans 6, verse 13. He said, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So now we as believers, we have access to this grace in which we stand. And as those who are standing in grace, we don't, uh, we don't devalue the seriousness of sin. That's what we talked about last week. We don't devalue the seriousness of sin and indulge in it. Instead, we devalue the worth of sin. In Christ, sin loses its appeal. It's not worth anything to us anymore. We see it for what it is. It's evil acts that bring dishonor to God and that harm us. And it keep keeps us from bringing glory to God. We should consider ourselves to be dead to sin and choose to walk instead in the spirit instead of in the flesh. In this new life that God began, this new life that God began, began the moment we first believed. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking more about this battle that happens between the old nature and the new life. Um, so you can look forward to that. That comes at the end of chapter 7. Uh, but for today, we're going to be staying in the first part of chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be talking about, so last week we talked about how we see sin now that we're standing in grace. This week, we're going to talk about how do we view the law now that we're standing in grace. So now that we 
Uh, no, from chapter 6, how to view sin in light of God's abounding grace. Uh, how do we view the law that caused sin to abound? That's This whole next section is going to be on that. So Paul gives an example to explain this to us so we can understand it better. Okay, He uses the illustration of marriage, which I thought... Well, that works out pretty well, because as you saw from the announcements, I just had two weddings uh, that I get to be a part of over the last week. So this was kind of timely. My mind is already kind of on marriage. So this illustration works well. Um, but we're going to start with his uh, with verses one through three, reading this illustration of marriage. It says now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. Now, before we dive into what this is talking about, I'm just going to take a moment and go a little side note on what this is not talking about. This section of scripture can sometimes get us a little bit sidetracked on the topic of marriage and remarriage and when is it okay and when it is not okay. And that is not the topic that I'm covering today. Um, not only that, but it, it wasn't actually the topic that Paul was covering either. Paul was simply taking... Uh, Marriage, using as an illustration, taking something that the people understood well and using the part that they understood well about it to make a point about the law and, and uh, so they could understand how the law works in regards to us and our, our sin and, and how to view it now that we're standing in grace. So it's, it's an example to be used to figure out how to view the law. It's not a specifically a teaching on marriage. Um, last week I gave an example an illustration of my driving habits when I was younger and my speeding and not wearing a seatbelt. And, and I, I was not teaching you how to drive. Okay. I was not, <laughs> it was just an example to show the severity, how the severity of a penalty shows the severity um, or the seriousness of sin. So the severity of the penalty of sin showed the seriousness of, of sin. Um, my, if you were to, I, I was not wanting you to take my example of how I used to drive and apply it to life. So don't do that. Don't do that. that. It was just an illustration to make a different point. So the reason why I bring this up is because um, is not because I agree or disagree with the conclusions that you might come to in this passage. It's just to say that when you're looking for insight on a topic, make sure that you understand what exactly is being taught so that you're reading it in context, not just grabbing a verse out of context and using it to fit into whatever it is that you're trying to learn about. Make sure that they're teaching about the thing that you want to learn about when you're reading it. Um, and so we apply it properly. I, I know I've made that mistake before, and I think we all have made that mistake before. And sometimes it's not even our fault necessarily, um, because there's a lot of verses out there that are my, widely misused, that are taken out of context. And when you hear it enough times used out of context, all of a sudden you kind of think that's what it means. But um, we find out later, you know, sometimes we're reading along like, wait a second, that's not, that's not what that means. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody uh, respond to somebody who's, you know, judging some sort of an action, some sort of a, a sinful behavior or lifestyle, and they'll say, judge not lest you be judged, as if you should never judge anything ever. And, and they feel like that verse gives them some biblical authority to, to stand on, to kind of counter that judgment. But the problem is that in context, that verse is actually teaching us 
how to go about judging, that we should do it, uh, start with self-examination, that we should do it in humility, that we should judge others in the same manner that we want to be judged. In fact, in order to apply the following verses, the, the following verses actually require us to judge so that we know how, how to react and how to interact with other people. So uh, it's important to know the context. Context is key. And so the context for today is how do we view the law from a state of grace? So how standing in abounding grace, free from the power of sin, do we view the law? So just as we all know that when a man and a woman get married, the wife as well as the husband, but in this case, the example is the wife, is bound in her covenant to her husband as long as he lives. But if he dies, the wife is no longer bound to him. She is free to act as one who has no, no requirement to that. You know, she's not bound by that covenant. She, she doesn't have to follow the requirements of that covenant. And then uh, Paul goes on and he explains this illustration in the next three verses. And so we're kind of going to break down what exactly is the point. If the point isn't marriage, what is the point? And he says very clearly, uh, going on to verse 4, says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Just as the law had no power over this widowed woman to hold her to the covenant that she made, because you can't be united with someone who is dead, so also the law has no power over us. Because as we read last week, um, our sinful self was joined with Christ in his death. We read in Romans 6, verse 6, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. So our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. That verse from the last chapter exposed that sin has no power, but now we see that the death of the old man has, uh, has removed the law's power over us as well. So sin has no power, but now the law has no power over us. The sin that we were bound to that gave the law the right to pronounce death over us um, is now gone. That, that guilty member died. That is that Christ took on our guilt and died for us. The law has no right to hold our sin against us. So I don't know. I just want to make sure that we... I'm going to, Say that again, the guilty person had to die, and that is that Christ joined with us, and he died in our place. We became one, and he died in our place. There had to be a, a death. There had to be a penalty paid, and so he can't do it separate from us. We joined with him in, in his death. We joined with him, and he took on our death. Otherwise, we're, we're carrying it. If we haven't joined with Christ, then we're still under the law. We haven't been, the sin hasn't been removed. So we join with him in his death. Uh, last week, after talking about those speeding tickets, uh, and, and I mentioned that I had this box of memorabilia that I had had those tickets in and warnings and other. I had a bunch. Of, there's a lot of different things in there, and I thought 
it'd be kind of fun to dig in there and see what all I had in, in that box. Um, actually turned out it was a bag in a box, but hey, it used to be in a different box. I found it anyways. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was, uh, I was digging through and I found this letter that Tanya had wrote somewhere around the time that we got married, I believe. And it was like six or seven pages and it detailed, uh, our relationship from the time that she met me, the very first time she met me, all the way through um, our, our, our up to our first date and, and through our dating and up, I think a little bit past our engagement. I'm not exactly exactly sure. I read it, but I don't uh, I don't remember exactly where it ended. Um, <laughs> but it was fun. We we read this uh, this note together um, of all of her thoughts and feelings, and it reminded me of what I was thinking at those times, and. Um, and as we read our love story, it revived a little bit of what it felt like when we first fell in love. Now, I tried to say that carefully. Last time I got in trouble for saying something about how I had making it sound like our love was in the past. It's just I'm reminded of the, when we first fell in love, it's continuing. So I'm not, I don't want to get in trouble. But uh, it, was, it was good to remember. It was good to remember that. And it's good for us to stop and think about what the people in our lives mean to us? Uh, what, what do they mean to you? Um, to, to remember how much you value them to, so that you remember to, to show them the love that they deserve. Like When you remember how much they mean to you, it changes how you act. And so I say all of that to try and personalize this message as we move forward. We're going to be looking at our relationship with Jesus. And it's in, in context with marriage. And, and what, what does that mean in a married couple to be joined together? So when we hear join, like think of, think of that, you know, as a, as a married couple is joined together, we're, we're joined with Jesus. So remember today that Jesus loved you and that he died for you and that you called him to yourself. And then you chose, you chose to receive his love and become one with him. And so we celebrated that in communion. We talk about then baptism, but we chose and we joined with him. He offered us new life and we've become one with him. So I have to admit that um, in this section, as we were reading about uh, the husband and the wife and the husband dies, and I was thinking, why is it that the husband has to be the sinful man? <laughs> you know, you know, how come we get thrown under the bus? Um, and I... I thought, was it just like another 50-50 chance and we just lost the coin flip? But then I, I remembered Ephesians 5, uh, which, of course, I'd been reading over the last couple weeks. It says you, uh, and it talks about marriage. You see, when you are married, the two are joined together as one. So in the illustration that Paul's using, the husband isn't the law, and we are the wife. The law did not die we were, we were joined with Christ in death in that we were joined with him. Uh, and as we were joined with him, our, uh, he carried our sins. When we were joined, he had to take on our sins. We focus so much about the, the new life that we have in Christ sometimes, uh, but we forget that in order to rise to new life, we first must be joined with him in death. And so Christ is the groom. Christ is the groom. That's why the example is that the, that the husband died because Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. You and I are the bride. He died for us and it is, and is counted as our death because we are joined with him. Um, Ephesians 5.23 says, For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. 
He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means loving you, love your wives just as Christ loved his church. And here we go. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He's talking about us. This is what he did for us, for, so that we could be holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. This is the incredible beauty of the gospel. When you can really, when you really personalize this, when you really realize what's happening here, this is the beauty of the gospel that a holy and clean Jesus, seeing us trapped in a pit of the filth of our sin, would join with us and carry that filth to the grave, that he would take it on himself so that we could be holy and clean. You can imagine uh, a groom dressed all in, you know, in his best, you know, looking down at, at some woman, all hair snarled mess of a person down in this pit, you know, and, and thinking uh, and, and deciding, I, I love her enough that I'm going to go down and I'm going to get dirty <laughs> so that I can bring her, so I can help push her out and, and so that she can be removed from this, so that she can be cleansed. Jesus did so much more and, and, uh, and something that nobody else could do. Only in Christ could we receive this. Jesus did not sin, but by inviting us, by inviting you, by inviting you, by inviting all of us to join with him and become one with him, he became responsible for your debt in that union. Just as when I got married to Tanya, she had student debts. And now all of a sudden, when we got married, her debts became mine. Now, I was, I was aware of the debts when we got married. I decided to marry her anyways. So, <laughs> But she wasn't trapped in her debt. Like she, she would have gotten a job. She would have paid off her debt. Um, she didn't need me to rescue her from that. But we were trapped in our sin. We had no way to pay our, our way out. Jesus <clears throat> saw us and desiring to make us his bride, even though he saw that we were stained with sin, in his great love, he decided, I'm going to join with him as head. As head, he takes on responsibility for that debt. But he joined with us as head of the church, his bride, and paid the penalty for our sin with his own blood. But just because he bore our sin and paid the penalty for our sin, that did not mean that he actually sinned. And we've talked about this a lot through the last weeks, but it's so good. Um, if it weren't for that, Jesus would still be in the grave and we would have no hope of life. But Jesus had no sin. We're not just... Uh, a purified corpse, you know, <laughs> waiting to die and remain separate from God. Um, there is a resurrection. We look back at verse four, uh, right in the very middle, it says, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. You're united with the one who was raised from the dead. 
He raised from the dead, no longer in the grave. He did not die for his bride to just simply be cleansed, but to raise her to new life. He also did not die to leave her single. You know, in the, in the, in the illustration that Paul gave, the, the widow was free to remarry. We don't need to remarry because our groom rose again. We, didn't, we were not left single. We were <clears throat> cleansed so we could be united with him in resurrection, raised from the dead. And uh, we read in Ephesians, or we read in Ephesians already, that he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. So what now? <clears throat> so what now? We're joined with Christ. We recognize that with the law no longer has any authority over us because our sin, the reason for its, its authority over us, its rule over us has been washed away. It has no rights on us anymore. So what now? We were united with Christ in death so that he could cleanse us and united with him in his resurrection so that we can what? And I'm gonna, we're going to get to that in just a minute. <laughs> Our Savior came, rescued us from sin and death so that we could be joined with him in new life. So that's, that's the first step. And we, we already kind of covered that. We're joined with him in new life. The illustration of marriage is used because it is the most intimate of relationships that we can have with each other. It's, it's, a, it's a covenant. It's a, it's a commitment that goes beyond any sort of wiggle room or loopholes to get out of. Like It is, it is a, a permanent decision. Um, we are joined with Christ, though, in a far greater covenant. I mentioned that before. We in a greater covenant because marriage... Well, for multiple reasons, but one one difference is marriage is going to end with our death. It's kind of part of the illustration. Our marriage will end with death or with the return of Christ. It will end, but our union with Christ will endure for an eternity. We who have put our faith in Christ join him not just in that distant eternity, even though that is going to be incredible. It's going to be an incredible eternity, but also we're joined with him now. We're joined with him now. And so our commitment in this covenant, our purpose moving forward, is to follow his lead as head now in this life, joining him in his purpose, which is to bring glory to God. So we are now walking through this life, just as a married couple walks through this life, joined together, their purposes, their, their direction is tied together. Our purpose and direction is tied to Christ. We're walking with him as head. And as married couples, we, we place God, we place God as head over the two of us, and the two of us follow that lead together. Um, verse 4, going back to that again, ends with, as, we, as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. That's the result of us being united with Christ and having this new purpose. Paul goes on to further describe this 100-degree shift that happens when we're born again into new life, the difference between the old nature and the new nature. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of, of this whole thought that we're going to get into um, in a week or two, two or three weeks. We'll see how far we get uh, after the McCoys come. But um, verse 5, as we go to the next verse, says, When we were controlled by our old nature... Sinful desires were at work within us, 
and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. So you may think, wait a minute, God's law aroused evil desires? That doesn't sound right. If you look in, in Psalms, it says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, and God's law is pure, eternal, and just. So how could it be that it is uh, arousing evil desires? Well, it's not that God's law is evil or bad. It is that our nature responds to the law in an evil way. It's our nature. Our sinful nature is dumb. <laughs> our sinful nature is dumb. It takes what is meant to protect us and it, and it questions it and it wants to test it. It wants to find out whether or not it's true. How many of you have experienced a time in your life where you were told something and then you wanted to do it? Like you're told not to cross a line and you want to just kind of touch your foot on the cross the line. You know, you're told not to, not to, um, not to touch something. You know, there's a, a, something's painted and you just like, is it still wet? Like you just don't touch, but I just want to, I just want to check. Now, if you were not told not to cross this line or not to touch that wet bench, um, you probably would have just walked right past it. <laughs> you wouldn't have even thought to do it. But when you saw the, the rule, you thought, yeah, I don't know if that really looks like it's still wet, you know, like what's What's it going to hurt if I go like this? It's, you know, something in you wants to test the law. Um, I heard a story this last week about this. There's a hotel on the beach real close to the ocean. And uh, um, they must have had an instant at some point where somebody was uh, trying to fish from the balcony. And so they thought, we're going to put a stop to this. We're going we're gonna to put signs on all of the balconies saying, do not fish from the balcony. Well, after they put those signs up there, the amount of people fishing from the balcony went way up. Because <laughs> most people wouldn't think that I should fish from the balcony. It's just, it seems like, I, I just, it just wouldn't have occurred to people. They think they're going to go and fish in a boat because that's where you, you know, fish or fish from the shore. But, but when they put these signs up, it put the idea in people's head. And all of a sudden, people are using these heavy weights so they can cast far enough and they're breaking windows and bothering the guests below. And so eventually, the hotel had to take the signs down so that less people <laughs> would be fishing from the balcony. The law or the rule tempted them, and they gave into that temptation. There's nothing wrong with the rule. Like, they shouldn't do that. It's not good. It's a bad idea. Um, but it was their response to the law that was bad. The point for today is that the old nature combined with the presence of the law caused sin to abound. But then it changed. Um, verse 6 says... But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. I love this. We have this new way of living. We don't have to live in the old way. The old way, it was hard to try and obey the law. Was It's hard you, you can't do it in your old nature. It just, your old nature is tempted. It wants to do those things. You have to really fight to try and do that. But we're not called to live in the old nature. We're called to live in the new nature, to live by the Spirit. In the Spirit, we're united with Christ, and our new life in Christ, 
the spirit that's the same nature as Christ is not tempted by the law. It desires to obey the law. It loves the law. If you walk in the spirit, you won't sin. But, but we have a choice. We still have that old nature and we have, to, and there's that battle. And like I said, we're going to get into that again uh, in a few weeks, but, but we have a new life that we can live in. As Christians, we are joined as one with Christ and we don't have to follow the law in fear of punishment. That wasn't enough to keep us from it. We can know what the punishment was, but it, we still fell into sin. We instead follow the law now in, in thinking again of this marriage relationship of us being joined with Christ. We're, we're joined with him and we, we follow in loving adoration for our bridegroom, our savior. And that's when we keep that focus, when we remember, when we remind ourselves that we are one with Christ, we walk in the spirit. When we don't remember that we're one with Christ, we end up going back into our old habits. And the, the part that's key is that when we choose to walk with Christ, counting ourselves dead to sin is that we lose our appetite to sin. In Christ, we're able to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. It doesn't mean you're not going to make any mistakes, but when we're walking in the spirit, we'll live a life that's pleasing to God. Now in our covenant with Christ, we live, we, we serve God as living sacrifice, seeking to please him. We read earlier that the old way produced a harvest of sinful deeds and it resulted in death. But the result of this new life in Christ is that we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. We were once under the law and a slave to sin, but now we are free. We were set free for a purpose, right? Not so that we can run back to our old master so that we can serve the Lord. We have a new master and we were going to, we're going to walk with Christ according to his purpose. Like I mentioned earlier, um, I've been in wedding mode over the last week or so. And in weddings, we oftentimes look back uh, all the way back to Genesis where that, that first marriage between Adam and Eve and how God joined them together. And right after they were, they were made one flesh uh, he said the very first commandment that God gives them was to be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. So now that we're joined with Christ, we are called to be fruitful and multiply. He, he said that we, now we can produce a harvest of good deeds. Now that we're not, um, now that our sinful nature, our, under our sinful nature, when we're battling against, you know, whether we're going to do what's right or do what's wrong, we couldn't please him. But walking in the spirit, we can now produce a harvest of good deeds. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We were created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Uh, before we stand and, and sing a closing song, um, actually, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to use that moment, but uh, so we can do the good things that, you know, just 
it's, it's that verse there. Sometimes you can read that and you could think again, like, okay, I got saved. Now I am going to go and do good things. Like, no, you, you were joined with Christ and now you and Christ are going to go do good things. If you try and go and do the good things on your own, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And you might not even be doing the right things. You don't even know what good things he has planned for you because it's in Christ that we figure out what those things are that we're supposed to do. So sometimes we can try and do good things that are outside of what he's even gifted us to do. And so uh, it's in walking in Christ that we know what those things are that he has planned for us. And and it, it's, it's really hard to do things that he hasn't, you know, if he hasn't necessarily equipped you to do it, it, it might be it might be quite a struggle trying to do it because you don't have the the skills and he's not, he's not empowering you to do it because that's not what he wants you to do. So, uh, we find strength in Christ to do those things. So, um, we're going to stand and sing and we're going to do something a little bit different because I had a song, uh, that I heard this morning that I, I thought, um, really spoke to me and I thought would be a good closing song. And so we're going to, we're going to have a song that's going to play over the speakers. There might be a little bit of, uh, technical stuff, but we'll get there. But as we sing this last song, I want to encourage you to use this moment to remember. Like I said, we started the service remembering. Now we're going to end the service remembering. But we're going to remember that we've been united with Christ, united into the covenant of his blood, that we, we, were, we were drawn into a relationship with him, um, not just for the moment of salvation, not just for eternity, but for today and for tomorrow and next week and next month. Um, we remember that he had this great love for us. We remember that he chose us as his bride, that now we can walk in freedom, we can walk in his protection and provision, but also we walk in loving submission to him. He is the head. And so we, we submit to him. We look to him for direction for our life. And his purposes and plans for us are not a heavy burden, but they are a source of joy as we're walking in the plans that, that we were made for and that we experience his strength and, and hope and encouragement as we walk in those things. So um, let's stand and let's sing and let's remember that Jesus joined with us, that we were married with him in baptism, that he, he loved us so much that he chose to join with us and take on our debt and die in our place so that we could live with him, live with him today. Lord, we just, we just thank you, Lord. You mean everything to us. We remember today that we are joined with you, Lord. We were, we are one with you. You are our Lord. You are our head. You are our Savior. We remember what you did for us, that you took us from that miry pit. You chose to get yourself dirty on our behalf, Lord, so that you could present us to yourself as a glorious bride, pure and spotless, Lord that we could live with you, that we could serve with you, that we could partner with you in bringing glory to the God of the universe. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We lift you high today, Lord, and we leave here remembering. We leave here walking with you. Lord, remembering that, that this is a journey that we're taking with you every step of the way, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, Lord, we are one with you. 
And you give us the strength and the power, no matter what it is that we're going through, whether we're serving you or whether we're struggling with the turmoils in life, you are with us. We thank you. Praise Jesus. Amen. I will let you go with this one last verse, which is a verse that we have already read once today. But as you go, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. We've died to that. We're choosing today. We're not following that old nature. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Thank you.